The perk of preaching 36 weeks pregnant is I get to sit on a stool. As a child of this church who was dedicated as a baby and raised here and now raising my children here and ministering to children here, um, it is good to be with you on this first Sunday as we explore this idea of our capital campaign. For we must ask ourselves, are we sure we want to do this? I mean, to go through the awkwardness of talking about fundraising in the midst of worship, to go to countless meetings, and to go through the actual chaos of renovating our space while still trying to use it. And I ask not because I'm trying to be financially conservative or a look at me, I turned out fine, why do we need to renovate the space sort of (laughs) attitude. But I ask because where our treasure is, there our heart must be also. Raising and spending this kind of money to renovate our children and youth space is a way of setting our values and our priorities as a community. It is a sign of commitment and covenant to young people. And it suggests that our faith is worth passing down. That our stories are worth telling and retelling to all those who come to us. And have you heard the stories that we're telling? Stories of tombs and a dead man walking around. Stories of scared grown men locked in rooms because they are afraid. Stories of church leaders getting sent to prison repeatedly. These are radical stories. They're stories that my middle school Bible study uh, group always tells me might be rated R because of their violence. (laughs) They tell of a faith journey that is risky and challenging. Are we sure we want to do this? I attended a parents' meeting recently at my son's local daycare, and they told us about some upcoming policy changes, and then they made the mistake of opening the floor to questions. So parents began to raise some concerns, the amount of prepackaged food our children are eating, certain books that are on the shelves, boo-boo reports that are not promptly handed to the parent, the fact that their child's classroom is not as big as another classroom that they see. And in that moment, I could sense that sense of anxiety that the parents felt. When leaving their children in the care of others, they wanted to ensure that their child was getting the best care possible, that their child had the best chance to thrive and the best chance to avoid the negative parts of life. And I looked at the daycare uh, directors and realized what a hard job they have. For we as parents would like to create for our children the world as we would like it to be. And since we cannot stay at home with our children, then we demand our children's caregivers to create the world as we would like to be and maintain it and protect it. I think he was right when Brian McLaren said that the most conservative members of the church are not the oldest generation, but rather the 30-year-olds who are raising their children in the church, who are trying to recreate that church that they think they remember from their childhood, a church that will protect their children from the world that's outside and avoid the hard times that we may have experienced. So when we talk about building love and investing in our young people, we better be sure that we are on the same page of what we are doing this and why are we doing this. For more than any local boys and girls self-esteem building organization, we are a church. A church that is called to open up the scriptures and unpack the risky, radical stories that are in there.
Stories that have the power to save and also the power to send us to prison if we read them carefully. These are teachings that are countercultural to both our society and our religious environment of our time. The National Study for Youth and Religion conducted this massive survey of teenagers in the early 2000s across the U.S., and their results speak not only really of what teens believe, but what your average American Christian believes. For our teens merely reflect the church and society that is raising them. They call it moralistic therapeutic deism, if you really want to know the title. But it's five basic things. God exists. God wants us to be good and nice and fair. The goal of life is to be happy. God's not really involved unless we need something, kind of like a butler, and good people go to heaven when they die. Now, it's not too bad of a theology. I mean, we want people to believe in God, and we want people to love their neighbor, so this is generally good news, right? Well, perhaps. But when we hold up this religious perspective against the central stories of our faith, we can see that the essence of our faith tradition has been discarded somewhere along the way. For in the pain of the crucifixion, or the hope found in an empty tomb, or peace imparted to scared disciples, or a power of a message that breaks through prison doors, if the message that we're preaching is for us to be happy and feel good about ourselves, then we have gone wrong in the game of telephone. The message has been dumbed down and reoriented away from God and other, and primarily towards ourselves. I mean, we do live in a culture that advertises products and programs that promise an end to inconvenience and discomfort, and the message of the church can become another just stop on the quest for self-improvement. A faith focused purely on the ill-fated searches for happiness and safety and security is so far from our Easter text, I don't know how we got that message from these stories that we read. So as those of us who are considering investing money in the perpetuation of our faith tradition, we must ask ourselves, what is our calling? What is the message that we are offering in the midst of this society that we are in? Our Easter text calls us away from the shallow end of personal happiness and into the deep waters of what it means to live this human life. We find disciples who have gone through the darkness of Good Friday and seem stuck in the quicksands of disappointment. They are huddled together in their home and they have to name to one another the tragedy that they have experienced, the tragedies that we experience, that life is fragile and short. Life is messy and out of our control. And despite their best desire to stand by Jesus until the end, they have not been able to live up to their own expectations for themselves. And it's into that place of raw defeat and real fear that Jesus steps, alive and yet still wearing the marks of the world's hatred on his body, letting them know that the story is not over, that suffering is but one chapter in the midst of a much bigger story. So in his presence, they, you can see them let go of that sadness and grief, and they come to the realization that all may not be lost, that hatred has not had the final word. Rather, God's redeeming love has emerged in the most radical and world-altering way. 
As we go on to read at the end of the Gospels and the beginning of Acts, Scripture shows us that Jesus comes to them again and again, reassuring them, showing them, yes, this did happen. Yes, I am here. It took them a while. It takes us a while for them to realize this new reality. For in Jesus, God bound God's self to humanity. God tied God's self to humanity so that if death is not the final word for Jesus, then death is not the final word for us. And as they spend time with the resurrected Christ, these scared disciples are transformed from the doubters that we see in John to the witnesses that we read in Acts, from students to teachers, from disciples to proclaimers. And as Jesus leaves them, Jesus empowers them as carriers of the message. In his absence, they are giving the calling and the space to stand up and to speak. And when they do and when they go to the people, they do not proclaim a God of ease and comfort and happiness. Rather, they are proclaiming one risen from the depths of human suffering as those who have been in the locked doors, who are called to sacrifice our comfort, to witness to God's kingdom breaking in now. The disciples we find in Acts are people so invigorated with passion and so infused with hope and so ready to battle the powers of the day that the prison doors cannot hold them back. They live like people who know how the game ends. Have you ever seen, watched a game when you already know the ending? It changes totally how you watch the game. For the points may be low at halftime, like they were yesterday. You know how the game ends. And so you are not as discouraged because you know. And this is how the disciples live. For they know that God's love will triumph in the end. They have become people who truly believe that God's desired future is breaking into their own time and place then and now. They feel called and they feel needed. Close to the risen Christ who conquered death, they have inherited boldness. Called with a clear mission to share all that they have seen and heard, they have inherited purpose. And surrounded by a community of fellow believers, they have become unstoppable. If you want to give money so that we might just form nice, safe, young people who are protected from the outside world, then you can look elsewhere because there are plenty of organizations that do that and they will give you cookies also. We want a space that raises young people to be bold and full of purpose in Christ. And we will never walk in boldness until we come to terms with the reality that to live this human life is to wrestle with the real enemies of fear and suffering and disappointment. Things happen in our lives that drive us to lock the doors and stay in our homes and wait for peace and hope and love to force their way in, just like the disciples did. When we are a church that turns a blind eye to the real dangers out there, then we are turning Easter into a fairy tale. And the children of our day need more than another fairy tale to live this life. One of my favorite theologians writes this simple account that you might relate to of an evening when only 20 minutes after he put his son to bed, he was called into the bedroom of his three-year-old Owen to find him surrounded by stuffed animals and whispering, I'm scared, 
There is a nightmare in my closet. I'm scared. As a good father, driven to comfort his son, but also desiring a quick return to the couch and the TV, he tells him not to fear because Jesus would be with him and would protect him. Well, frustrated, Owen responds, where is Jesus? I don't see Jesus. Andy rambled something about Jesus always being with us, even if you can't see him, but Owen wasn't satisfied. With a worried quiver in his voice, he said, Jesus is not here. Andy writes, I found to my shame that the objective reality of his fear spoke much louder than my empty Sunday school words could give him. Jesus is here, Owen, he repeats. Yes, Jesus is with you now. Where? Where? Owen asked while choking back three-year-old tears. Where is he? I'm scared. Like the account of Thomas and John when he won't believe it until he sees it, Owen sought a real encounter that could banish the seemingly real nightmare in his closet. Being the church and bringing the message of Christ to our children is not about banishing the irrational fear of what's hiding in the closet, for the reality is is that there are nightmares in the closet. There are dragons among us and within us, The dragons of fear and regret and disappointment and jealousy and greed and so on. If we are to be a community that raises the Peters of our day who will stand in the public square, then we must be willing to be a community that raises Thomas as well. That gives children a safe space to bring those dragons to light and to hold them before the wounds of the risen Christ and to be a community together, seeing that Jesus shows up in the places of our fears. And not just as children and youth, but as adults of all ages. For we may not cradle stuffed animals at night, but we know that there are nightmares in the closet that keep us up at night. Bills yet to be paid, or jobs yet to be found, affection yet to be received, or a future yet to be decided. So if we are to do this, to invest our resources in building love here at Highland, then we must be committed to be a people for whom Easter is not just a story that we tell, but a truth that we live and practice and do every day. So that our children may see adults who are vulnerable enough to share their fears and doubts with entrusted communities. May our children see adults who are committed to spiritual growth all lifelong and not just until they're 18. May our children see adults who are living their lives with boldness and not just because they're nice, but because Jesus asked them to live this way. We are called as a community of faith to build a home base, a safe harbor that allows us to walk this road together from locked doors out into the public square when we're ready. From paralyzing fear to prophetic boldness. Are we sure we want to do this? Can we be people who live as if we know how the game ends? To trust Christ so much that we will walk hand in hand with every generation that comes to us. Through the locked doors and boldly into the world where the countercultural redemptive message of our risen Christ will lead them to risky and dangerous places. So that people later may look at us here on this corner of this community of faith and say of our community, close to the risen Christ who conquered death, they have inherited boldness. 
called with a clear message to share all that they have seen and heard. They have inherited purpose. And surrounded by a community of fellow believers, they have become unstoppable. May it be so, not only in our future, but now, today. As we are people invited to this table of love we have before us, where Jesus' sacrifice is made real to us, all are invited to be people who bring their whole selves to the only meal that will build boldness within each of us, even those of us riddled with fear today. Trusting in the one who, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish far more than all we could ask or imagine. To God, may we give our worship and our praise and our very lives as individuals, but as a community, as we stand now to turn to one another and say, may the peace of Christ be with you. Amen. Awesome.